So beginning at John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you meet someone famous, a sports figure or a politician, movie star, and they turn out to be less than you expected? Last fall, when the Tour of Missouri bike race was here in town, I had the opportunity to, uh, to meet George Hincapie. I don't know if you know who George Hincapie is. He uh, was Lance Armstrong's teammate for seven Tour de France victories. He won a uh, Tour de France himself and other major races. A uh, pretty big-time guy. And because the bike team I raced for, uh, that's a long story as to why I met the guy. But anyway, they, they, uh, they gave me this jersey with, uh, with George Hincapie, uh, his signature on it. So I got to meet the guy, and I got this really nice $150 jersey with a signature on it, so now I can't use it. And it sits in a plastic bag on my table. Big deal. You meet George Hincapie. That's kind of how Nicodemus approached Jesus, it seems, a little bit on this day. And the way our culture sort of approaches Jesus. They take him down a notch or two from where he should be. Some today just explain his miracles away. He's not that big a figure. Others claim that his teachings are not really that unique or profound. There are many other religious teachers in the world who might lead us to heaven. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus just that way. He gives what he thinks is a very generous interpretation of Jesus' actions, that Jesus does amazing signs and that God must be with him. But it wasn't enough. Jesus did not merely have God with him. He was God. In fact, he was the Son of God come to earth, and he would be lifted up so that anyone who would look to him and only him would be saved. And so Jesus deflects Nicodemus's question in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I admit this text is probably a little too familiar to us. We hear these phrases over and over again. They're part of our normal religious vocabulary. Phrases like, born again, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Eventually, God so loved the world in chapter 3. They almost have no meaning for us anymore, or we fill them up with our own meaning, something that has no connection with what Jesus was talking about. Take born again, for example, the way the old King James chose to translate Onathan. 
As you know, of course, from the seminary seal, Anathan could mean either born again, as it's translated here, or from above, as in the phrase phos anathen, life from above, the motto of the seminary. Although sometimes I wonder if our founding fathers didn't have some extra insight, and it actually should be translated light again and again and again and again, because like a normal congregation, things don't seem to change too quickly around here either. But by his response, Nicodemus clearly misunderstands the wordplay. Born again, born from above, Nicodemus takes the born again line. How can I enter my mother's womb and be born a second time? But Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Birth by water and the Spirit is what Jesus is talking about. Birth from above. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Already in chapter 1, the evangelist describes those who receive Jesus as those not having been born of the flesh, but born from God. And the point Jesus is making here is not that there's some kind of a second birth that happens, but that there is a difference between birth brought about by humans and birth brought about by the Spirit. Birth from our parents is only part of what God has in store for his creatures. Birth from above is what brings us into his kingdom. Born again in American Christianity typically means something like really Christian, super Christian, as opposed to what John is talking about here, what Jesus is talking about here, someone who is of God. And then water in the Spirit. Verse 4, here's another one of these classic Johannine problems. Jesus says something that likely has almost no meaning to his initial hearers in the narrative but has tremendous significance for those who are reading the evangelist texts later on. Just like in chapter 6 when Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, the people hearing Jesus speak that day couldn't think Lord's Supper. It hasn't happened yet. But for those of us who live on the other side of Easter, of course he's referring to the Lord's Supper. Same here in chapter 3. Various explanations have been given by commentaries in order to avoid a sacramental understanding of water and the spirit. But here's one case, in spite of its frequent abuse by Lutheran preachers, where water actually does reference baptism. The point of water and the spirit, of course, is not to make baptism the exclusive means by which the spirit creates children of God, but it is a reminder to us the hearers of John's gospel that, unlike Nicodemus, we get it. Or better, we have already gotten it. We have already been born from above through the waters of baptism. We are already his children. And this makes us different. And so in verse 9, Nicodemus, of course, doesn't understand. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And now Jesus shifts from the Spirit and his work to his own work. The question Jesus or Nicodemus had actually originally asked about. Rather than interpreting his signs and miracles, Jesus points Nicodemus to what he will do on the cross. We speak of what we know, Jesus says, and bear witness to what we have seen. And not only is Jesus made known through his speaking, he is made known through his work, ultimately his being lifted up. And here the invoking of the bronze serpent from Numbers 21 is an interesting parallel. It shows that only through God's chosen means can people be saved. Why would a bronze statue on a stick save people from poison? It's God's way. Why would the Son of Man lifted up on a cross save people forever? Because it's God's way. Only by Jesus' birth does, or only by Jesus does birth from above happen. For he alone came from above. And then we get the verse everybody memorized in kindergarten. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And now Jesus moves from the salvation of individuals to the salvation of all creation. Unless one, the one who believes, is the focus of verses 1 through 15. But in verse 16, the focus shifts to the world. God so loved the world, but not everyone receives this love of God. Indeed, indeed, Jesus had already hinted at this in verses 11 and 12, where he says that we bear witness to what we have seen, but you have not received our testimony. You see, the lifting up of the Son of Man on the cross and the giving new life from above by the water, uh, by water and the Spirit so that we may have eternal life marks a change. It marks something different in us something different from those who have not received the truth, who have not received the love of God. Now often when we hear this verse, God so loved the world, whoever believes in him may have eternal life, we take it to mean that God loves us, and so when we die, we get to go to heaven. And we kind of sit around and make sure we believe the right things and everything is going to be okay. But that's not where Jesus goes with this. When Jesus says uh, that we have been born from above, the purpose of this, at the end of the pericope, is that we actually do the truth. Not sit around, wait, but do the truth. Our deeds, Jesus says, show that we are, in fact, in the light. 
Indeed, they have been done in the light because they are done through the one who is from above. They are literally done in God. Our deeds are done in God. You see, life in Christ is not some sort of Gnostic experience where we merely attain some kind of knowledge, stuff our heads with interesting tidbits about God, and then wait until our brains, or more accurately, our souls, get taken up into heaven. No, a life lived from above is physical and concrete. It is not lived in the brain, but lived in this world that does not receive Jesus. And in this world, we are often called to live in a way that is fundamentally different from those who have not been born from above. They do wicked things, and we do the truth. And while it may be tempting for us with all our knowledge and insight to blast away at whatever current societal problem is in the news, take your pick, gay marriage, the whole abortion issue is back on the table again, take your pick. But the goal of Jesus in this text is not to give us permission to blast away at the world. No, Jesus' goal is to move us move us born from above people into confident living in him by his power, focusing on him as the one lifted up. And so we do more than just stand and speak and think. We quite literally do the truth. Do the truth. It kind of doesn't work in our American brains. How do you do the truth? The translations have a hard time with this too. The ESV in front of you has do what is true. The ESV has live by the truth. They turn it into an object. But that still kind of makes no sense. Doing is physical. Truth is abstract. You can't do the truth in our thinking any more than you can do a song or do an idea. But Jesus is calling us to to the truth, to do righteousness, to act faithfully, to be what we are, different people born in a different way who do different things, his things, because he is our Father, made his own through his Son and his Spirit. We cannot help do what he has made us, And so we go and we do. Instead of Jesus taking down a notch, Jesus takes us up a notch, above, to live as his people. God grant us his spirit to do his will. Amen.